Hello and welcome to Tales from the Thrift, a podcast connecting resellers. I'm your host, Sherry, a part-time reseller on Poshmark. Today's episode is a tiny tale, and since Halloween is coming up, I wanted to do something a little spooky. This tiny tale isn't so much spooky though, it's a little more murdery. So consider this your, pardon the pun, trigger warning. If true crime makes you queasy, maybe you should skip this episode. Otherwise, grab a chair, grab a coffee, or listen while you list. Let's get into it. Okay, so the story that I'm going to tell today is very fashion inspired. It is the murder of Maurizio Gucci. I used a couple online sources for this. The first one was from an online article by High Snobbity. It was the gangland murder of Maurizio Gucci by Alex Banks. I also used an article from Forbes online. Murder in the House of Gucci by Sofia Lotto Parizzo. So before I start, uh, let me give a little disclaimer. Uh, There's a lot of Italian names in this uh, whole story. So bear with me because I'm going to try my best. So let's start with Maurizio Gucci. Maurizio Gucci was born in 1948. He was the son of Rodolfo Gucci, who was one of the original heirs to the Gucci fashion name. It was Rodolfo Gucci and his four brothers who were the original heirs. So the luxury fashion brand moved from Italy into the U.S. in the early 50s, and the brand gained a lot of popularity with that. But the Gucci family wasn't only known for their luxury brand. So it wasn't only the leather loafers and the belts and the beautiful handbags. They were also known for immense jealousy throughout the family and serious family feuds. Fights among the brothers for shares in the company became really well known in Italy and at one point Aldo Gucci who was one of those four brothers Maurizio's uncle was arrested and jailed for tax evasion at the ripe old age of 81. So after Aldo's sentence Maurizio was actually awarded 50% of the company. So Maurizio he led quite the lifestyle. He had a 206-foot yacht, he had two Ferraris, and he had homes in Italy and Switzerland. It was also estimated that he had about $40 million in debt because of his spending habits. In 1977, he married a woman named Patricia Reggiani. So the two had met in their early 20s at a party among the elite in Milan. He claimed to his family that he was struck by her beauty, calling her an Elizabeth Taylor lookalike. And she actually does look a lot like Elizabeth Taylor. The two uh, had two daughters. But in 1992, Reggiani claims that Maurizio left one afternoon, saying that he was going on a business trip. And she said that he just never came home. She said that she learned of his abandonment, as she called it, from their family doctor, which is no way to learn that your husband is leaving you. So not too long after that, Maurizio moved in with another woman, a younger woman named Paola Franchi. And after his divorce, there were still a lot of lingering issues between him and his ex, Reggiani. People said that she had been stalking him, and at one point he hired a, what people in Italy were calling a mega Blanca or a white witch to cleanse one of his mansions saying that it had evil spirits from his ex-wife in it. 
So his new girlfriend, Paola, claimed that Gucci became extremely paranoid um, and was kind of always looking over his shoulder after the divorce. So during all this drama, Maurizio was also losing millions with the company. He lost over $230 in revenue in 1993, and he eventually ended up just share, uh, selling off his shares in Gucci. So that was in 1993. Now we get to March 27th, 1995. So a man named Giuseppe um, Onorato, we're going to call him Giuseppe, was sweeping leaves outside of the Via Palestro. So this is the office building where Maurizio worked in Milan. It was around 8.30 a.m. Maurizio walked into the building, and just as he was walking through the building's lobby, he was shot three times in the back. He fell down the stairs, landed on the floor, and the shooter then shot him in the face. The shooter then looked at Giuseppe, who had witnessed the whole thing, and fired twice at him. Giuseppe was hit in the arm, so he ran over to Maurizio, and Maurizio died in his arms. So after this, there was a lot of speculation surrounding the murder. Maurizio owed a lot of money, he was in a lot of debt, and he was also in frauds, like I said, with members of his family. He had also been expected to marry Paola not long after that, and he had publicly said that once that happened, he planned to dramatically reduce his ex-wife's alimony to $860,000 a year. Reggiano, his ex-wife, was apparently very insulted by this, and she called that sum a bowl of lentils. So a year after the murder, the police failed to come up with anyone. Um, They stated they didn't have any leads, there weren't any arrests made, until one day they were contacted by an anonymous person. So he asked to speak to the head of police, and he said, I'm only going to say one word, Gucci. So a meeting was set up between this informant and the police and the man told them that he had been staying at a one-star hotel in Milan when he overheard the doorman talk about recruiting Gucci's killer. Police followed up on these leads and it led them to a doorman who worked at a hotel near Maurizio's office. Ivano Savioni was the doorman. So in... January 1996, police were actually able to put together an undercover operation and an undercover police officer was able to obtain recorded evidence of Patricia Regiana, the ex-wife, her friend Pina, the doorman, and the getaway driver, who was also hired. They were all arrested and they were charged with the murder of Maurizio Gucci. So the doorman... Ivano Savioni eventually told police that he had been approached by a female who was connected to Maurizio's ex-wife. He said that this woman, Pina, had asked him to make arrangements for the hit on Maurizio. He said he agreed to take part for $350,000. He hired a hitman, and he also hired a getaway driver. So, like I said, they were all arrested and they were charged with the murder of Maurizio Gucci. So the evidence at the trial a year later included this undercover police operation, which I would say would likely probably be the strongest piece of evidence. Um, 
They also had voicemails from Regiana, the ex-wife. One of them said, for you, hell is yet to come. A message she left on his voicemail. There was witnesses to the fact that Regiana had been looking for a hitman. She asked her cleaner to come help her kill her ex-husband two separate times. And she'd even consulted a lawyer asking what would happen if she got rid of her ex-husband. The way she explained this away in court was, she said, what wife has never said, I'd kill this guy. So she always maintained her innocence. Another piece of evidence was that Patricia's diary entry on the date of Maurizio's murder, just all it said was the Greek word for paradise. That was the only word on the day of his murder. So like I said, she's always maintained her innocence, but she was convicted in 1998. She was sentenced to 29 years, as was the hitman. Her friend Pina and the driver received 25 and 26 year sentences. So, and I think that this is a great part of the story. Um, After her conviction, the Gucci flagship store in Florence, Italy, displayed silver handcuffs with the Gucci emblem on them in the store windows. So that would have been a sight to see. So... Reggiano remained in jail up until 2017. She was actually um, a little bit earlier than that in 2014. She was granted work placement, so she was allowed out to work actually in the fashion industry. She worked for a jewelry company for a few years, uh, but she was declared a free woman in 2017. So immediately upon being released from prison, she went after her divorce settlement. So she went after the money that was inherited by her two daughters who refused to pay their mother out. So the matter is still in Italian Supreme Court and is not settled yet. So a famous quote from Reggiana, she actually said she would rather cry in a Rolls Royce than be happy on a bicycle. Uh, Not long after being released from prison as well, she was approached by a camera crew from an Italian... A camera crew from an Italian trash magazine is what they call it in this article. And they asked her why she hired a hitman and why she didn't just shoot him herself. She replied, my eyesight is bad. I didn't want to miss. So that pretty much says it all. So rumors have always swirled about a Martin Scorsese film about this whole twisted drama, and Lady Gaga was said to be the one to play Reggiano, the ex-wife. So we can cross our fingers for that, because I'd say that would probably be a pretty good twisted story. And that is the infamous murder of Maurizio Gucci. So the second story that I'm going to share with you today is the tragic murder of Gianni Versace. The sources that I used for this were an online article from biography.com called The Assassination of Gianni Versace, The True Story of His Tragic Death by Rachel Chang. I also used a Harper's Bazaar article called A Complete Timeline of Andrew Kanan's Murders by Emma Dybin. I also used a little bit of Wikipedia on the Andrew Kanan page. So, Gianni Versace opened his first fashion boutique in the 70s, and by the late 90s, he was worth over $800 million. He had a lot of A-list celebrities sitting front row center at his shows, including Madonna and Elton John. He ran his fashion empire with his sister Donatella and his brother Santo. 
He was known in his home of South Beach, Miami, as the mayor of South Beach. He was very involved in his community. He knew everyone, and everyone said that he was very laid back and friendly. So on a typical day, Gianni would have his assistant get his coffee from a coffee shop around the corner. But on July 15th, he took a walk himself to the news cafe around the corner. On this particular morning, Gianni was wearing black shorts, a white t-shirt, and sandals. He was said to have bought a coffee and spent $15 on five different magazines. He started the 10-minute walk home, and just as he began to open the front gates of his residence, uh, his partner, who was just inside the doors, Antonio D'Amicchio, heard a number of gunshots ring out. So before Gianni made it to the front gate, an unknown stranger had approached him and shot him twice point-blank range in the back of the head with a 40 caliber pistol. D'Amicchio told reporters afterwards that after hearing the, short, hearing the shots, he felt as though his blood turned to ice. A witness that was near the Versace residence, Eddie Bianchi, he had been standing nearby at a rollerblade shop. He said he ran towards the shots and he saw Gianni on the ground with blood pooling around him. He said there was absolutely nothing we could do. We just stood and watched. Gianni Versace, unfortunately, was pronounced dead at 9.15 a.m. at the age of 50 years old. The fashion industry, as you can imagine, was devastated. As was his community, the entrance to the mansion soon became a memorial shrine. 2,000 people ended up attending his funeral, including Naomi Campbell, Madonna, Giorgio Armani, and it was actually one of Princess Diana's last appearances in public before her death that August, so just the next month. Okay, so who was this unknown man who shot Gianni twice in front of his home on that July morning? So the shooter fled the scene on foot, and responding police uh, were able to track him to a stolen truck in a nearby parking garage. Inside the truck was uh, some clothes, a fake passport, and newspaper newspaper clippings that detailed a series of recent murders. This led police directly to a man named Andrew Kanonen. He was on the FBI's most wanted list for four very recent murders. So who was Andrew Kanonen? Well, he was raised in National City, California, and he was described by his classmates in his teen years as a prolific liar and he was also voted least likely to be forgotten in high school. In 1988, his father abandoned the family to evade arrest for embezzlement, and he fled to the Philippines. That same year, Andrew came out to his mother as gay. He was reported to have thrown her against the wall, dislocating her shoulder after the two had an argument about religion. As an adult... Andrew Kanonen was known for befriending wealthy older men and posing as wealthy himself, although he was very much broke and apparently was becoming addicted to various drugs. So let's talk about the series of murders before Versace was killed. The murders that got Andrew Kanonen onto the FBI's most wanted list. Victim number one of Andrew Kanonen was April 27, 1997. So this was three months before the Versace murder. U.S. Naval Officer Jeffrey Trail had become friends with Andrew Kanonen previously in 1991. The two were said to have been best friends. 
They apparently had a huge fight, and Trail told his friends that he never wanted to see Kanan again. Trail had been living in Minneapolis when his body was found in his apartment by an ex-partner. He had been beat to death with a hammer, and his body had been rolled up in a carpet. Victim number two, May 3rd, 1997. So not long after the first one. The male was only ID'd as Madsen. He failed to show up for work on April 28th. And the same day, he had been seen walking his dog with Andrew Kanan. The two had previously been in a relationship, but had broken up the previous year. Madsen's body was found five days later, east of Minneapolis, with gunshot wounds to the head. Victim number three was the next day, May 4th, 1997, and it was in Chicago, so not too far from Minneapolis. Lee Miglin was a 72-year-old Chicago real estate tycoon. His wife became worried when he didn't show up at the airport to pick her up, as they had discussed previously. She made her way home by herself, and she found the garage was open and the kitchen was in complete disarray and her husband's green Lexus was missing from the home. She immediately called the police, and police found Miglin dead in the garage. He had been stabbed over 20 times with a screwdriver, and his throat cut open with a hacksaw. There were no signs of forced entry, and it was unclear to police if there was any connection between Miglin and Kanan. So following this gruesome crime, Kanan was then added to the FBI's most wanted list as a fugitive. Uh, they had at this point connected all of the crimes together. So that brings us to victim number four. May 9th, five days later, 1997 in New Jersey. A man named William Reese, 45-year-old caretaker at a cemetery in Pennsville, New Jersey, was found shot in the head at the office of the cemetery. He was found the next day, and his red pickup truck was missing, and Miglin's green Lexus was left in its place. So police believe that the only reason that Reese was killed was for his truck. So Kanan went, saw the truck, killed him, stole the truck, and left the Lexus. So it was easy to connect him to that one. So after killing this... Um, male, William Reese, Andrew Kanan moved to Florida, where he had been living for two months prior to the Gianni Versace murder. People that were interviewed after the crime took place said that he didn't appear to have been making any attempt to hide. They said that he was going out all day and night, and he even used his own name to pawn some items that he had stolen from Miglin, one of his victims. So after the murder of Versace in July, one of the biggest manhunts in U.S. history began with over 1,000 agents looking for Andrew Kanan. Police were finally able to narrow their search to a houseboat, and not long after that, Kanan fatally shot himself in the head with the same gun that he had used to kill his victims. There was no suicide left, nor was there any explanation for the crime, so this left a lot of unanswered questions. There was a lot of speculation as to whether or not Andrew Kanan knew Gianni Versace. Um, some people say that they had met in San Francisco years prior to this. 
Others say that he had been stalking Versace for some time and he had become completely obsessed with him, but there's no clear answer as to why he did commit this crime. So that is a very brief recap of the Gianni Versace murder and the other crimes of Andrew Kananen. If this sad, horrible story didn't scare you off and you do want to know more about it, season two of American Crime Story tells this entire story in a lot of detail. There's also a recent episode of My Favorite Murder podcast with Georgia Hardstock and Karen Kilgariff. It's one of my favorite podcasts and they do a very good job in telling this story as well in a lot more detail. So thank you for joining me for this week's Tiny Tale. Join me next Tuesday for another reseller interview. I will be releasing who will be joining me on that episode next Sunday or Monday on my Instagram at Uniquely She Style. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.